Samuel. Half of you missed that one. Anyway, let's go through the book of Romans, chapter 5. And uh, we're still in our part 2, which is God's forgiveness. And uh, it's, 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 it's all about, actually, the benefits of belonging to Christ. Aren't you glad that you have Jesus? And uh, there's so many amazing things that happen in your life when you completely surrender to him. Um, I couldn't think of a better example right now. I don't want to embarrass you, Marcus, but Marcus has made... He's been on the journey since I've been here and before. Like, I've been here for 10 years. And you've been trying and trying. But something has shifted in... I don't know if you... Have you noticed? Something has shifted in Marcus's life. We've moved past the talk again, please. Uh, Something has shifted. And something has changed. And Marcus has transformed. And... uh, He's talking to me about wanting to give his testimony, which we're really excited about. Uh, it's going to happen in September when the Ken family are here, yeah. Ben and Janelle, yeah. uh, because they've played a big part in your life yeah. on the journey as well. And uh, and on that day, we're also going to be baptising Marcus. Now, he's done it before, and he said to me during the week, oh, I've been baptised before, but I just really feel that I've made a significant, like the change is very significant now in my life that I want to demonstrate and, and publicly declare that change again. Uh, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that you can't do that. Um, it also doesn't say you have to do that. But I'm never going to say no to someone that wants to make a public declaration of their faith. Uh, and so that's going to be an exciting day in September. I can't remember the date. Anymore. 24th, you'll remember the date. You've got it all planned. 24th of September, if there's anyone in the house that hasn't been baptised, we'll have a baptism pool set up. Hey, you can all, it'll be a bit warmer, then you can all jump in uh, if you want to. Uh, but we're going to set it up in the foyer. I think that's is that the plan, isn't it? You want to go here? Yeah. What do you want to go to the dam? You can choose. The dam might still be cold in September. <laughs> Steve sold his boat, so that's hopeless. We haven't got a boat to run around here anymore. So um, let's do it. Maybe. Maybe here. Because then we've got the urns we can put, you know, we can make the tepid cold ice water into at least. I do. Well, no, I can stand to the side. See, I cop out. And, uh, actually, Ben Kent's coming. I'll put him in the pool with you. Anyway, that's all right. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. Uh, but it's going to be exciting um, to celebrate. And, and it's just amazing. And I just went off on a tangent, but that's just what I do. Um, and that's all good. But, yeah. <laughs> the benefits of belonging to Christ, I think, are evident in Marcus's life. Like, you can see that he's a transformed man. So that's what we're talking about today and and as we begin this chapter chapter 5 of Romans it is good to keep in mind that Paul the writer of Romans he's not writing a theological textbook some people declare that's what the book of Romans is Um, and there are times when you read through parts of it it comes across that way but there's a definite order to this letter that Paul has written a definite order there's a progression of thought And there's serious theological content throughout. But Paul's purpose for writing this letter to the Romans is apparent chapter by chapter. That's why I'm loving breaking it up in each chapter, because each chapter reveals something fresh and new. But ultimately, his goal is to proclaim the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that's what we should do. Proclaim God's grace, his goodness, in our life. You know, he was a missionary, he was a teacher, and, and this proclamation is in agreement with all of his ministry. I mean, he went to stacks of places, 
Galatia, Pontius, Phrygia, Cilicia, I'm probably saying them all wrong, all parts of Asia Minor. And Paul spent years studying the Old Covenant while he was discovering what life meant under the New Covenant. And Paul's faith and the truth he presents are absolutely grounded in Scripture and in spiritual reality. He was experiencing this as he was writing it. Paul lived as we do in the midst of tension. How many of you know the world's pretty tense right now? It's, uh, it's tense. It's full on. Young people, what that young people would say now? It's hectic. Trying to be young. <laughs> heckers. It's heckers. Do they say heckers? No, that's, no, that's not cool anymore. If Melody was in here, she'd be shaking her head at me by now. Stop trying to be cool, Dad. Uh, so, so Paul's teaching is very practical because of this, because of the kind of world that he, that he was living in. And he uses spiritual insight, doctrines, history, examples, all with a desire to encourage the reader, that's us, uh, the Romans at the time, and now us who read it, to make our lives more fruitful as we complete our work for the kingdom of God. And so, verse, chapters 1 to 4, we're sort of leaving that discussion now of sin, justification, you know, we've been made right because of Christ, um, and he moves to topics that deal more with spiritual growth now. He, he, he is now assuming that we haven't skipped those chapters the way he's writing. He's assuming that the believer has an understanding of sin and the need for righteousness. And he moves on from there. So Paul doesn't present a glorified view of the Christian life in any way because it's really quite the opposite, and he would declare this too. He was in touch with the influences of the world, the flesh, the demonic. He faced each one through Christ's grace and power. And is that not what we do? We face... Come out, demon. We face... <laughs> we face gremlins in the sound system. I don't know, is it rubbing against me here? I don't know. Uh, we face daily challenges and, and things that come against us, that... You know, no coincidence that Jody's talking about storms and tornadoes and things. If I went around the room and talked to each and every one of you, I might go to a handheld if it's going to get you. It's probably. It doesn't like him. Maybe it's a battery. It's even on. Better try and get it out. Huh! Breathe in. <laughs> the one time we try and use it, Russell. Yep. Yeah, it's all, it's all good. We face challenges, don't we? Every single day. If I went around the room and asked each and every one of you, everyone would probably have a story of, and you may not necessarily be in it right now. You might be on the other end of it, praise God. It might be coming up, praise God anyway. Uh, or you might be in the midst of a challenge, praise God. Uh, but we can't face these things without... Christ's grace and power. And so let's get into it. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Let's uh, fast forward to there. All right. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. Aren't you glad you've got peace? And it's very quick to say we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our source. And that's why we just declared before that you know, to experience this peace in the midst of marriages under challenge, you know, saying goodbye to family pets, um, fighting for custody of children, all these things that are going on in the life of our church for different people. Uh, the only way you can get through that with an amount of sanity is to have your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because when your eyes waver from Jesus, it's like you're on the water and you're like Peter and you're about to sink because you take your eyes off of him and look at the waves that are crashing around about you and they consume you. Life's challenges have a way of consuming us, don't they? Anyone would think it's a plan of the enemy to distract you from the things of God. So having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love um, how it says, therefore, at the start. Did you catch that? Therefore, having been justified by faith. See, when you see a therefore, I think there's a really good question to ask. What's it there for? I thought you'd like that. What is there for, therefore? Here in Romans 5, Paul begins with therefore. And Paul's therefore serves to remind us of the journey we've just come through, through chapters 1 through 4, where Paul is mapping out God's road to freedom from sin, the gift of righteousness through faith for the sinner. We've just gone through all of that, and he now is proceeding on to assume that his readers understand this, like I said already, uh, justification by faith, and, and justification is the reality of, of life now that we are in Christ. And so because we are justified by faith, we are at peace with God. We're washed continually in grace, and we are no longer God's enemies. We are God's friends. Just like Abraham was no longer, uh, just like Abraham was no longer not a friend of God, because he surrendered to God's will and His leading and His declaration over his life, we too, when we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we call upon the name of the Lord, we are saved, we are accepted, His grace is poured out on us, we are forgiven, and so we are no longer there's no longer this barrier between us and the Lord because. Every barrier and chain of sin is broken in our lives the moment we accept what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? So no longer should we fear the wrath of God. We should look for the blessings of God. Because he loves you so much. He sent his one and only son. He loves you. And Jesus has introduced us to his father and the father loves us. Because we're completely justified by faith in Jesus, we can look forward to a time where we will enjoy the full presence of Almighty God. Who's looking forward to that glorious day? Whether it's through you know, us being risen and, and taken in the rapture, whether it's this life comes to an end for us and we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. However we get there, man, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be so amazing. Because of all of that, we have hope. No matter what happens here on earth, we know that everything will turn out all right in the end. 
It might look ugly now. It might be like Jody in her dream and there's this line of tornadoes and they're coming at you at a rate of knots. It may look like that for you right now, but in the end, keep your eyes on Jesus and you have hope. Everything is going to be okay. Justification, peace and access ought to motivate us to worship. That's what we did this morning. We worshipped. We worshipped Jesus together out of that responsive, God, thank you so much for rescuing me. Thank you so much for pouring out your grace in my life. Thank you so much for everything that you've done. My only response can be worship. I've heard it put this way, worship, putting worth on what you've done for me. That should be our response. That's why at 5 o'clock today, don't stay home and, oh, it's a bit cold and I'm just going to put my heater on and put my feet up. And no, come here and worship with us and be so grateful and thankful for what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. Take every opportunity to gather as the church and worship together because he's been so good to us. Do you agree? He's been so, so good to us. God knows how to repair broken vessels better than any of us could. He knows how to make broken vessels useful again. And so why do we rejoice? We believe that now when we worship, it truly brings glory to God. Why? Because we were broken vessels. We were useless. We couldn't function the way God intended us to function. But God comes and breathes on us reveals Christ to us by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we surrender our life to Jesus. So now when we worship, we're actually glorifying the work that he's done in us to make us new. Lord, I lift my hands. <laughs> I give all my praise to you. Everything I am. I've given us. You give me the strength to do. And uh, this is my response making me brand new that's our response to worship and praise the king of kings who has transformed us from the inside out i don't know about you but man we need to take every opportunity to worship him and not just in church in your homes praise him in the car ian does that i hear you doof doof down this main street of town oh, not really i made that up but any opportunity you get. And every time you do it, you're glorifying Him. Because worship comes out of that spirit of gratitude and thankfulness of what you've done, Lord. So I worship you. I place you in that highest place. I honor you. Not because it's cool to sing Christian songs, but because I want to magnify what you've done in me that the world would know. So people see you in your car popping along and singing, and they're like, whoa, look at that man. He's got some sort of joy going on. <laughs> In chapter 5 of the book of Romans, Paul gives several benefits of justification. Firstly, we have access to God and his grace. Without Christ, we don't get that access. Jesus is the key. Who remembers that old song? You surprised me. Love is the key in everything we do. Do you know? Jesus is the source of it all. Sing it again. Sing it again. Love is the key. Is the key. And then you go, peace is the key, and joy is the key. Jesus is the key. It's a good song. He gives us the access. 
Must have been just because I got saved in an Anglican church that I know that song. Everyone's like looking at me with blank looks. Who knew that song? Did you know that? It's a Solomon's. Martin Fakaya taught it to me from when I met him. Uh, we, we have uh, present tense. We have absolute salvation. So today, today is the day of salvation and we have it and we have access to it because of what Christ has done. It's one of the benefits of justification. We are saved. Don't ever get tired of being excited about being saved. Man, the spirit of familiarity, it just comes, doesn't it? Oh, I've been a Christian since the days of Noah. It's all good. I was once excited like that young whippersnapper, but now oh, I'm far too mature. <laughs> David got pretty undignified. Now, I promise you at our five o'clock service today, I won't make you get naked. Okay? There's none of that. Too cold. Too cold. We'll have the heaters on, but still too cold. <laughs> and we might scare people away. But, come on. It's okay to get a little undignified. We don't have to be so prim and proper that we forget how amazing it is that we are saved. Jesus saved us. Even while we were sinners doing the wrong stuff and we've all been there. You can't tell me you've lived a perfect life because if you do and if you have, I want what you're having. But it doesn't exist. You've, you live in sin. Even today, you probably woke up and, you know, were grumpy at your wife. Or, or you said a cuss word to someone in your head, even if it didn't come out loud. Or, or you had a fight or, or something, but then you walk into church and like, we're all good. We're holy. Praise you, Jesus. No, 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 no. We're saved despite all of that. Aren't you glad? All right, come on. Some people are getting a little looser now. It's good. Here's another thing we have. We have reconciliation. We have reconciliation with God the Father. So without Jesus, we don't get access to God. Remember before Jesus died on the cross, the only people that could go into the Holy of Holies, the high priests, and even then they were so afraid of what if they did the wrong thing, they had a rope tied around their leg as they went in because if they muck up and did the wrong thing or whatever, dead. And so... Getting into God's presence was only for a limited few, and even then it was super hard. But then when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us the veil tore in two. And so now we have access to relationship with our Heavenly Father. He's not this big porn-moving God, moving chess pieces and, and treating you like you, 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 you don't have relationship. He is a God that loves you. He loves you so much he sent Jesus. Because he knew that we would want to be in fellowship and relationship with him. And that was his plan. And it's the only plan. No one comes to the Father but through me, says Jesus. And so we, we need to, to understand that we have this relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's personal. You can call him Daddy. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be, oh, Holy Father, Lord, and... You know, and all these fancy old King James words. I mean, if you, pray, if you pray like that, that's okay. I'm not judging you. You can pray like that too. But you know what? You can just go like you would to your normal earthly father. Just go, Daddy, I just need you. I just need you. Here's another benefit. It's we, we have the capacity to live a righteous life. Without Jesus, we can't do that. Jesus fulfills that on our behalf because we're never perfect. 
Even when we surrender our life to him and we acknowledge our sin and we ask for forgiveness, we are still sinful. But we can change our approach and attitude to how we live our life because we want to please God. It doesn't make us perfect, but the desire for sin leaves us. We're still going to muck up and make mistakes, but the desire to... It's not the, oh, well, I'll just go out and party all weekend and get in church on Sunday and Jesus will forgive me, it's all right. That, that, that hasn't... There's been a transformation of the mind there. That's not a new creation. That's like an old me dabbling in the new and taking the benefits that I want but still holding on to my old life. But the Bible says we are new creations when we invite Jesus Christ. Perfect example. Point and example. So we have the capacity to live a righteous life. We have life itself. Before Christ, we... We didn't even really have life. We thought we did. Oh, if we follow all the rules and the Torah and the, the old covenant and do all the right things, well, God will favour us. But no, that's not living. That's being bound in chains. We not only have life, we have eternal life. Thanks to the justification that comes because of Christ. We have access to an eternal life with Jesus. And we don't have to try to create peace because God has granted us peace through Christ. I don't know about you, but the storms that we've faced as a family since being in Stanford, and I'm going to touch on them again soon. Some of you know our story, others of you know little bits. Um, we wouldn't have got through without the peace of Jesus, a supernatural peace. And again, many of you in this room, you've had your challenges, you might be in your challenges, you've You've had difficulties, and I'm sure you could testify that you would not have made it through had it not been for the supernatural peace that's found in Jesus to get you through life's most challenging storms. I want to read verses 3 to 5 of the book of Romans. And this is the crux of what I want to talk about today. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Who loves hard times? <laughs> Woo! Glory! Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, so... Who loves those ads on TV? But wait, there's more. If you sign up to Christianity now, we'll give you perseverance through tribulation. Come on. You know, after talking about the good things that come from being justified by faith, Paul is now adding this other benefit. But wait, there's more. And it may seem strange when you first hear it, but I think most people in the room, and you've heard this before, we rejoice in our sufferings. That's not normal, is it? People from the world that aren't Christians yet do not get this. How can you be so happy when so much bad stuff is going on? They cannot understand that question or the answer that you want to give. It's important to understand that we don't rejoice at our sufferings. Nobody likes to suffer. Am I fair in representing us all in saying that? Who likes to suffer? Nobody likes suffering. 
So we don't rejoice at our sufferings. We don't like to suffer, and we shouldn't, because that's not normal. If you do, um, we need to pray for you. What Paul is saying is that now our sufferings have meaning and purpose. Our sufferings are leading us to somewhere. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We're walking. We're not camping. We don't camp in suffering and just cop it and take it and live that out our lives. We are walking through the valley. And we all have them. Hilltops, valleys. But the key is to keep walking. How do we keep walking? We keep our eyes fixed on Christ and keep moving towards him. And so all this difficult challenges and stuff, a family member dies, um, I've got bills coming out of my ears and I don't know how I'm going to pay them. Uh, we're about to be evicted because our landlord wants the house and we don't know where we're going to live. Uh, any number of things that create a storm, you could camp there and navel gaze and go, oh, poor me, woe is me, what am I going to do? Or keep your eyes fixed on the prize, his name is Jesus, and walk through the valley towards him. And he is going to provide a way and a means to get you out of the valley back to a hilltop. I don't know how quick that happens for you. This generation wants it to happen yesterday. They don't like going through hard times. Can you just take this away now and fix it now, please? But it's, it's life's journey, isn't it? It's going through those difficult seasons and challenges and keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. Paul says that suffering produces perseverance. You could almost call it a little bit of stubbornness. It's stubbornness against the enemy. You know, you're going to keep coming at me with all your stuff and heap it on me. But you know what? I've got the fortitude because of Christ in me. I've got the perseverance. I've got the stubbornness to go, you know what? I'm not camping at that spot where all the stuff is. Can't swear in church. All the, all the stuff that's heaping on you. I'm going to keep moving towards the prize, and his name's Jesus, because I'm going to persevere. Perseverance is the ability to continue onward in the face of hard times. So if we are persevering people, and I pray we are, I pray that Vineyard Christian Church is full of persevering people. And you don't need to do it in your own strength either. That's why the church is awesome. If you are going through a hard time, allow us to assist you in persevering. Allow someone to be the lifter of your head, to lift up your arms in the time where you just want them to hang down because you're wrecked and done. How does that look? Maybe we cook you some meals. Maybe we come and pray with you. Maybe we assist in some way that God has enabled us to assist. But unless you speak to someone and let us know, we can't persevere and help you persevere because we don't know what you're going through. I think I said it last week for even Anita and I, you see 2% of our lives here. And it goes the other way. We see 2% of your life in church here. And, and, and some of you could be going through one of life's biggest challenges and we could never know if you didn't speak up and say, help me, this is happening. That's what's so good about the church, amen? amen? Why be part of the church if you're not in it for, like obviously you're here because you love fellowship and hanging out with people <coughs> and worshipping God as a, as a community together. But man, if we can't do life together, and persevere through life's biggest challenges together, that's what it's all about. 
We push forward together. We don't give up together. And then Paul then says perseverance produces character. By facing trials and working through them, God is molding us into better people. How many of you know hindsight is a beautiful thing? When you're in the most difficult of challenges, I'll say it, it sucks. There's a lot of young person like, life sucks. Well, it does. It sucks. When you're, in, when you're in this challenging time and everything's heaping against you and then you see no way out and you don't know what's going to happen, it's hard. But as you persevere and you keep going, it shapes you, it moulds you, it develops a character in you. Then you do come out the other end, and many of us in this room have overcome adversity in different ways for different things. Can you confidently say, I know we can, that we are better people because of going through that storm. Absolutely. Because it produces character. God is molding us into better people. We give up bad habits, for example. We replace them with good ones. And then Paul says character produces hope. When we look back on the process through which God's brought us through and we realise that we are still in this process, you never arrive. It's the beautiful cycle of life, you know, hilltops, valleys, hilltops, valleys. If you're again, if you're living on the hilltop your whole life, please, I want what you're having. <laughs> We're still in a process, but we have a firm basis for hope. Hope in the mountains, in the mountaintops, hopes in the valleys. We remain consistent because our hope never changes. His name is Jesus, and we know that just as He was brought us through the trials of the past. Just as Jesus has done that, he'll bring us through the trials of the future. And it will continue because he loves us. And that never changes. He loves us until the very end when we enjoy his presence forever. Again, what a glorious time that's going to be. I don't know if you've heard of this person. Have I got pictures out here? You probably have no idea who that is. This person's name is Joni Erickson Tata. Have you heard of this person? Some of you have. So Joni was 17 and full of life and hope when she dived into a bay and struck a submerged rock and instantly became, became, became a quadriplegic. So 28 years following the accident, an interview in Leadership Magazine records these words spoken by Joni. She said this, pain and suffering have purpose. You know it's powerful when someone who's in a, in a wheelchair for their life now says that. I think they have a right to say that. Because if anyone's been through pain and suffering, it's someone who's lost the ability to use their limbs and to look after themselves. So she goes on, she says, pain and suffering have purpose. I get impatient with people who want to get all their needs met. With my disability, some days are easier than others, but for me, life is always difficult. These are issues I must face every single morning. Every morning, somebody has to give me a bath in bed or dress me or lift me into a wheelchair or comb my hair, brush my teeth, fix my breakfast, cut up my food, feed me. I have to turn them, by the grace of God, into something that has meaning and purpose. What a good attitude. In other words, I'll say it again, life sucks, but I'm going to make it amazing. I'm going to turn it into something beautiful. 
And God has this amazing ability to turn your worst day into your greatest experience. You've just got to let him. You know, when we're in the when we're in the throes of suffering and, and life is difficult, we're so busy hurting, and sometimes it can be difficult to see any purpose in it. You know, often it's not until afterwards that we can look back and see that God had a reason for the suffering. Perhaps he was pushing us to a higher level or he was sculpting us to look more like Jesus, whatever it was. We'll never reach perfection before we die, but God means to bring us as far as he can. And we will reduce the pain we experience if while we suffer, we can somehow remember that suffering has a purpose. Does God cause the suffering? No, let's not go there. That's a bad theology. But can God bring you through the valleys? Of course he can, when you keep your eyes fixed on him. You know, there were some Christian martyrs who actually sang praises to God while burning in flames. I'd say that's a hard day, wouldn't you? And how did they do this? They did it because they had this clear understanding of the truth that suffering has purpose. And if all those people that burnt those Christian martyrs, if all they remember is that they died singing praises to God and that was something that God could use to transform their life, there's your purpose. They could have died screaming in pain and agony. would have had a different effect. But they died singing praises to God. Paul, the writer of Romans, was, was not accustomed, uh, was not unaccustomed to suffering. His suffering had purpose. You know, the Bible records in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 all these things that he said. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys, I've been in journeys often, travelling long distances. I've been in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. Lovely. In perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. It's a lot of perils. In perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Do you think Paul had an easy life? Uh-uh. <laughs> he had challenges. But he knew that his purpose was to share and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And so despite all of that, he could have had taken a woe-is-me approach and oh, all these bad things are happening and hide in a cave somewhere. But it didn't stop him from proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that our lives would be an example of this. Despite hardships, despite challenges, despite difficulties, that we would be remembered as overcomers because of what Christ has done and gone before us and done. I'm going to finish with our story and I'm going to cut it short because we'll be here another few hours if I shared every detail. And some of you have heard this and know what we went through when we moved here, but, but let's rewind. We've been here 10 years now, over 10 years. March 2013, we moved here. And uh, our son was three weeks old, uh, Timothy. And uh, we didn't know any of you. You didn't know us. 
And, uh, and so we moved here with a three-week-old, away from our family, our friends, our support network, our church, everyone who cared for us. And we moved to a place where we knew nobody. Woohoo! <laughs> you know God's with you when you're doing that, right? With a, with a newborn. So we moved here, and life was going along all grand, and, and, and the church really embraced us and loved on us, the people that were here at the time. And two months in, my dad travelled to America with my stepmom and died of a heart attack overseas, two months after just being here. And so I had to hop on a plane and um, go to America for two weeks, leaving my wife with now a two-month-old and a uh, two-and-a-half-month-old, leaving her and the church that we're meant to be running and, and, and all that happening. and, and uh, it was just a big upheaval for us. And then to go over and, you know, view my dad's body, which was very hard to do. And praise the Lord, he wanted to be cremated, which is, that's a blessing because how many of you know transporting a body back from overseas is tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands, maybe more, maybe 100,000 or more. I don't know. It's a lot of money to, to bring a body. Uh, but with cremation, uh, you can take ashes on as carry-on. Thank you, Jesus. So I often tell a joke that, um, who's seen Weekend at Bernie's? Yeah, so the ones, that, the ones that are giggling nervously know what I'm talking about. You could bring Dad on the, on the plane and pretend he's little man. <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. So brought him home, buried my dad and, and his ashes. And, and, you know, we were hammered by that, you know, because no one wants to lose a parent that young. He was only 50, 59. 57, late 50s anyway, when he, when he passed. Um, so it was, it was sad. It was a hard time for our family. Yeah. And we're like, God, why would, why would that timing happen that way? When we just moved here, we're just hitting our straps, we're just trying to find our feet, and then that happens. How many of you know you can very quickly get a bit annoyed at God? <laughs> you know, it's not never convenient for someone to die, but, but this time, like, why did, anyway. Fast forward to the next year in 2014, in October, I was preaching in Biloela and um, often would go up there once a year to relieve the pastor there because he didn't have any team or anything, just to, so that they could have a break and I would run the church service for him. He was a good mate. And uh, I started the drive home after ministering in that church. This is in the middle of the day, midday actually, 12, 12.30. And as I'm driving from Biloela to... Calliope, I used to say Calliope and get smashed. It's Calliope. Uh, and uh, the highway is the Dawson Highway. It's a dodgy highway at best. It's single lane most of the way. Uh, as I'm driving, I look up and there's this car and it's like it's playing chicken with me. It's literally in my lane. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And uh, if I pulled off to the left, uh, it was a big drop off. So, so I would have tumbled and most likely died. So my only real option was to get onto his side of the road to go past him. And so I did that, and it was working all smoothly, smoothly until uh, they decided to wake up and correct and run into my passenger side of the vehicle. Now, it's a miracle of God that Anita and the kids weren't with me because we do everything together, like ministry, everything. So if I go and speak in a church, I, I, they come with me. We do it together. 
And Anita even said to me in the lead up, oh, I'm just feeling not to go. And I said, yeah, but we do this together. I really want you there to support. And just We're a family. And so it wasn't until like a day or two before we were about to go and Anita started to get fluey and sick. And I'm like, all right, you and the kids stay and I'll just go. And uh, don't read that wrong. I'm not saying God makes people sick, but I don't know. I'm not. Ask him when you get up there. Uh, but that made us decide for Anita not to come. If Anita had to come, I'm telling you, at the scene of the accident, I'm in my chair, uh, and when I finally come to, I was probably out for about a minute and a half, knocked out. Uh, the first person to come onto my vehicle thought I was dead because I was slumped forward on the wheelbase. And then I remember waking up, and it was really weird because when you have an impact like that, this is a 100k an hour impact. That I was driving a Mazda CX-5, which is basically a plastic car, and uh, Holden, Colorado, Ute with a bull bar, and they had a pool table in the back. So who had the physics victory there? Um, they had a weight on their side. Smashed right into me, and uh, and when I came to, I was like, <laughs> I sounded like a donkey. And, and in my head, I'm going, shut up, you fool. You sound so stupid, because <laughs> it's uncontrollable. It's obviously I'm gasping for air, because I've been winded, whatever. Uh, but when I sort of got my senses and realised what had happened. My glove box, so I said to the guy that was helping me, can you just grab my phone out of the glove box so I can let Anita know what's happened? And he goes, mate, your glove box is right there. Like the glove box that's in front of the passenger was here in front of me. It had been pushed in that far. So I should have died, in fairness. All the police and ambos and everything were like, how did you, how did nobody die at this scene? Even the other driver didn't die. No broken bones either. Pretty painful. <laughs> lots of whiplash, lots of bruising. I had the colours of the rainbow of bruising for what, six to nine months before it settled down. So it was intense. But all I can just say is that God rescued me in that accident. But now my family, who are, you know, we're still relatively newbies. We haven't been in Stanthorpe more than a year and not even a half. Uh, now having to deal with something like this. And again, you could be fairly asking the question, why God? Why did, you know, I mean, I was stoked I was alive, but but now I'm inhibited and and even to this day, I, I struggle with certain physical things that you can't see with your eyes. You look at me, I look normal. Um, and, and some of you might ask questions, or why doesn't he lift this or do that? And, uh, you know, come and talk to me personally so I can explain if I, if I need to. Uh, but it's hard to live like that as a man, because as a man, you want to pitch in and help and do physical stuff to because that's what men do. And um, and if I do that, I end up in bed for a week or two, depending on what I do. So I just, I've got to be mindful of what I do. But that's hard, I've got to live with that. Uh, but I'm alive. Wouldn't you rather live with that and be alive? Yes. You know, I, this is dragging on now and I've probably taken way too much time and I have. And I'm not telling you all these stories so you go, oh, poor Jeremy and Anita. Oh, they're just so lovely and all those bad things. I'm not looking for sympathy. What I'm trying to say to you is that we go through my dad passing. We go through my car accident. Two months later, we go through a car accident that killed Anita's mum uh, on impact. Um, and then maybe a year and a half, two years, however long it was later, we go through Anita's dad getting taken by lymphoma cancer in four weeks, ridiculously too fast. He's picking up Timmy from school one day and then a month later, he's gone. Uh, we've gone through the mill when it comes to things like that. 
And I'm saying all that, not for sympathy, but I'm saying all that to say we, the thing that has got us through is believing that God has taken us through suffering for a purpose. Did he cause the suffering? We don't go there in our mind, but we do know that he led us through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley. He led us through those difficult, challenging seasons. And there's, there's others I haven't had time to list today. Stuff that's happened since we've been here. But it makes us better pastors. Because now when you come to us and say, hey, I'm struggling because this happened. I'm struggling because of that. We now all of a sudden have the ability to have empathy and to understand and put ourselves in your shoes because we've been through. Now, some of you have been through things way more challenging than what we've been through. But the good news is God uses those moments of challenge to bring you out the other end, a better version of yourself because the version that has Christ in you, version 2.0, is a new creation. And it doesn't matter what comes against you, what challenges come, what difficulties come, you can make it through even life's most challenging seasons. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for you this morning. And I also want to reiterate to you to come tonight because we're going to have more time in his presence tonight to allow God to come and breathe on those challenging seasons, maybe the grip or the hold that they've had on you, we're going to dare to believe that those chains will be broken tonight and the people are going to be transformed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in this room tonight. So would you stand with me and I just want to pray, bring it to a close. Lord, I actually want to stand in your presence today and, and, and thank you for the challenges that we face. The Bible encourages us to rejoice in our, suffer, in, in our suffering times, to, to, to actually cling on to you in the midst of difficulty. And so I just pray for everyone under the sound of my voice right now who has faced a difficult season, is facing or is about to face Lord, that your presence would just saturate every soul in the building this morning. Lord, that your presence would bring us unexplainable peace in the midst of our storm. God, that you would just pour out your presence, your love, your grace and your mercy. Lord, an extra portion of your mercy on those that need comfort right now. Lord, I thank you that nothing is too hard for you. And Lord, I declare over every family, over every person and every family represented here, your grace, your peace and your love and your mercy in the midst of life's challenges and the most difficult of storms. Would you just come ever so nearer to our heart and remind us that you are Daddy God. You are a good, good Father and you will lead us through this valley to the next mountaintop. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're in this room and you need Jesus, if you're online and you need to surrender to Him, we want to give you that opportunity right now. Jesus is the source of our peace. He's the Prince of Peace, the Bible tells us. And so if you are facing a challenging time and you're trying to do that without Him, man, we want to pray for you today. 
is where Jesus comes in. He comes in like a flood. It overwhelms you, but it's such a good overwhelm because it overtakes the fear, the disappointment, the disillusionment, all those things that come with trials, the challenges of life. So let's pray this prayer together today in response to our amazing Heavenly Father and all that He's done. Pray with us, dear Jesus. We thank you that you came and that you died on a cross so that we could experience a new life, a life in relationship with you. And so we declare you are our Lord and we choose to live for you, laying aside our past, laying aside our mistakes and our sin and embracing a new life that is found in you. Have your way with me, Jesus. I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.